0: Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh out loud humor and hitting you between the eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants because here we go. Hello, CCV. I'm so blessed to be at my home church this weekend surrounded by so many people that I love, and so many people who love me. And um, just so you know, I travel all over the United States speaking, and so I'm in a lot of churches. And I might be biased, but I just want you to know we have the best church around. (laughs) We really do. The community here is unbelievable. The leadership is unparalleled. And our heart for our city is just amazing. I've been through a lot the last four years, and I can tell you that I could not have gone through it without my church. So let me start by joining Ashley and saying to you, Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. But I also want you to know that I know that this is a really hard day for a lot of people. This can be a really hard day if you've lost your mom. It's a hard day if you've spent years going through infertility. It can be a really hard day if, like me, you've lost a child. And maybe it's just a hard day because you have great expectations of what you want this day to be, and it just never is. But today I hope that through the story of Hannah and through pieces of my own brokenness that you will leave here a little bit more convinced that God loves you as you are, that you are not alone, and that there is hope, even when life does not work out like you wanted it to. Because it is in those times that you really realize what is important and what is not. And so join with me as I highlight the story of Hannah from 1 Samuel chapter 1. It says, "'There was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children.' This man used to go up year by year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And her rival, Peninnah, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. So it went on year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. You see, you need to understand something. In Hannah's culture, to be barren, the Jewish Talmud says she was considered as good as dead. Let that sink in. Her worth. She was considered as good as dead. Now, there were cultural reasons for that, but the bottom line is this. For a woman who had lots of children, she was highly favored, highly honored. But for one who didn't, she carried around a lot of shame. Walter Brugman says this. He says, barrenness is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. There is no foreseeable future and there is no human power to invent a future. No matter how hard Hannah worked, she could not meet up to the false standards that her culture placed on her. You know, I got to thinking, what kind of false standards does our culture place on us as women today? Now, I'm going to have a little fun with this, but you'll get my drift. I started with Facebook. I thought, well, Facebook tells me I need to be beautiful. Well, I call it fake book, by the way, but anyway. um, Facebook tells me that I need to be beautiful. Beautiful. And if I'm not, well, then I can edit my face. Well, I can't edit my face, but my daughter can edit my face until I look really good. The problem is, by the time she's done, it doesn't look anything like me. Facebook also tells me that I need to be skinny and fit. And did you know that if you're not, there's a whole class you can take about how to hold your arm, how to put your leg, how to lean in. I mean, it's crazy. Not only do I need to be beautiful and skinny, I need to have romance. And that man better have some cash because he needs to take me all over the known planet to all these amazing locations. Which means that I also need to be a photographer so that I can take pictures at all the places we go. And I need to be a poet so that I can write something beautifully poetic at the bottom of every picture so that you're convinced my life is wonderful. And you're like, I know that old Facebook. I can't stand Facebook. Well, let me talk to you Pinterest people. (laughs) Because Pinterest tells me that I need to have a house that looks like Chip and Jojo designed it. That I need to have a farm table with white platters and linen napkins wrapped in greenery. And that not only do I need to be prepare all this food, but I need to be able to present it in such a beautiful way. And I need to decorate my house for every season of the year. Well, we we know there's only one season in Phoenix, Arizona. Hot! The only way we would know a season is to walk in Hobby Lobby. (laughs) And even that's confusing because they start Christmas in July. And then there's Instagram. Instagram boasting all the beautiful pictures of perfect families and perfect children listing all the weekly yardages and batting averages and scholarship offers. And while I'm so busy doing that, I need to keep in mind that I need to uh, gain followers and grow my brand. And then we might go to church. And depending on what part of the country you're from or how old you are or what denomination you grew up in, or maybe even possibly how they taught a certain chapter in Proverbs, we can come out of there feeling the weight of some heavy expectation of what it looks like to be a godly wife and a godly mother. And I'm telling you, just going through that list exhausts me. But when I think back at all the years I tried to maintain that facade, not only am I exhausted, I'm really sad. Because it took me a really long time to understand what Brennan Manning so beautifully wrote in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, when he said that God loves me as I am and not as I should be. Is the world telling you you're not enough? Well, join the club. It told Jesus the same thing. Look at 1 John chapter 3 out of the message. It says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it, we're called the children of God. That's who we really are, but that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously, because it has no idea who he is or what he is up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God, and that's only the beginning. Our worth is not found in what we produce, What we do or what we achieve, it is not found in the opinion of man, it is found in the heart of God. And I could more easily contain Niagara Falls in a teacup than I could comprehend the wild, uncontainable love of God. Listen, I'm not telling you don't be cute or work out, decorate your house, or achieve your dreams. You're looking at a family of achievers. What I'm telling you is that you cannot afford to put your worth there. To make matters worse for Hannah, enter Panina. You remember her? The other woman, the one who was constantly sticking her finger in Hannah's wound. Why? Because hurting people hurt people. You see, Panina may have had children, but Hannah was loved. And this isn't a message about a villain versus a victim, because if you're like me, which is human, we've been both. But this is Hannah's story. And in Hannah's story, it says that Peninnah constantly provoked Hannah. That word provoke in the Hebrew literally means to thunder or roar like a storm. It is the picture of being caught in a hurricane. Tim Keller says, it is the only time in Scripture where that word is used and it is not actually talking about a storm. Oh, the storm of comparison. Ed Milet says that any area in your life where there is unhappiness, you will find comparison. Let me say that again. Any area in your life where there is unhappiness, you will find comparison. Maybe comparing yourself to someone else or comparing yourself to someone else's situation or maybe even comparing yourself to a former version of you. You see, Hannah's culture was telling her that she was not enough and comparison was highlighting it. I just wonder how often we invite comparison into our life with our thumb. Constantly uh, scrolling and scrolling and comparing, provoking our own storms of insecurity inside of us. Well, Hannah's story goes on and says that her husband sees her despair, and he says, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Listen, you got to love this man. Do you read the Bible like I do? What is he saying? Hannah, baby, isn't my love and provision enough to fill up all your broken and empty places? What is the answer to that? No. And listen, he's sincere. Scripture says he gave her a double portion. Listen, I'm from Arkansas. You give me a double portion of mashed potatoes. That's love right there. But since he brought it up, let's talk about it. The fact is, he loves Hannah, but he can't complete her. How often is it that when we're feeling unworthy or insignificant, do we seek fulfillment in some outside source, such as romance? I call it romantic salvation, the Cinderella story. Listen, you don't have to be spiritually wise to know there's a flaw in that plan. Let me give you a quote by a professed atheist by the name of Ernest Becker. He says this, the love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. What is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to this position? We want redemption, nothing less. We want to be rid of our faults, of our feelings of nothingness. And he goes on to say, No human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood. Listen, I'm as romantic as anybody in this room. I love me some Hallmark. I mean, do you not think I could fantasize all day long about a rich, good-looking city doctor who happens to break down in my small town, meets me, falls so madly in love that he decides to stay? And he and his chocolate lab decide they're going to open up a coffee shop in my hometown. And every morning, they come to me and they bring me coffee and sing, Good morning, beautiful. How was your night? Mine was wonderful. With you by my side. By the way, if Bible teaching doesn't work out, I'm going to be a country western singer. (laughs) Yep. Listen, I can fantasize about that all day long. But what's the point? It's fantasy. He's not real. But let me read you uh, about someone who is. Psalms 143.8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Oswald Chambers was correct when he said this, no love of the natural heart is safe unless the human heart has been satisfied by God first. Sometimes our outside fulfillment might not be romance. Maybe it's our children. I think as parents, we have to be very careful not to put our worth and our identity in our children. Remember, we're raising them to leave One night in the deepest, darkest moments of my grief, I started watching a movie. And it was a movie called Beautiful Collateral. Will Smith was in it. It was an entire movie about grief. He had lost his daughter. But there was a line in it that I will never forget. And in that movie, time was personified. And time looked at a woman and he said, children do not come from you they come through you. And I'll never forget that line because in a moment, just for a moment, my grief was turned to praise. And I looked up at God and I said, how was I so lucky? How was I so lucky that Zachary Hoffpower came through me? How was I so lucky that this beautiful, talented, compassionate boy came through me. And I realized he wasn't my appendage. Every decision he made was not my decision. All of his victories were not because of me, nor were all of his failures because of me. I did a lot of things right and I did a lot of things wrong but I did the most important thing. I introduced him to Jesus. He was a gift to me. And to be quite honest, he was a gift that I was never meant to keep. And so let me teach you something that cost me $250 an hour. (laughs) If you have your love cup stretched out for somebody else to fill you're going to be empty. Because the only one that can fill your love cup is the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. The one who knows everything about you, knows every skeleton in your closet, and he picked you anyway. He thought you were worth dying for, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you know Jesus, he has placed his spirit inside of you as a seal and a deposit guaranteeing you that one day he will return for you. And by the way, he is always at work. He is preparing a place for you. But every morning he waits for you to open up your eyes so he can say, good morning, beautiful. How was your night? Verse 9 continues and tells us that Hannah rose. It says she was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. Hannah rose. You gotta love that word. That word rose in the Hebrew literally means to make a decisive decision. How was she feeling? She had a storm raging inside of her. All of her dreams gone all of her efforts in vain, comparison glaring in her face, and nothing was fulfilling her. It was a tsunami of emotion. But there is one thing that I have learned. Feelings are important. Do not avoid them. Do not stuff them. They are important. They are indicators to what is going on inside of us. But listen to me. We are not slaves to them. I don't know if you've ever woken up on a morning and you kinda wish you hadn't. I've been there. I don't know if you've ever woken up on a morning and you just wanted to put the covers over your head and just go, nope. But can I encourage you? Rise up because when you lay there, it feels like the whole world is laying on your chest. Change your posture. Rise up because there's one thing I know emotions change. They rise and they fall. They rise and they fall. I used to tell my son all the time, your life is the sky. Emotions are the weather. Whatever you do, do not ever make a permanent decision based on a temporary emotion. Hannah took her storm to God and she let it rip. She did what Romans 12, 2 said. She took off her mask. She stopped living according to the blueprint of this world and she got real before God. She allowed him into her deepest, darkest places and he began to transform her mind. I don't know if you've ever realized it, but it seems that God does his greatest transformation in the deepest times of pain and suffering. That's something I can relate to, because I've been in a storm for the last four years, I cannot begin to describe. With waves so high and unrelenting that I thought I might drown. The first wave started with a divorce after 25 years of marriage that left me feeling so alone and afraid. The Titanic family sank, and daily, I had to watch as the emotional wreckage washed up on shore. I watched the sports dreams of both of my children come to an end, which to be quite honest was a lot of the glue that held us together. I watched my son go from being a two-sport star at Stanford University and playing with the Diamondback organization to being on suicide watch at a mental hospital with no strings in his shoes or his sweatpants. I watched him go through two years of mental health that was so dark, depression so dark, anxiety so terrifying, obsessive thoughts so unrelenting, and insomnia that would make you crazy. He was diagnosed with meningitis, and Lyme's disease, all magnified because of traumatic brain injury. I watched my daughter. I watched her heart being broken. She was angry and isolated, and she was watching all of her childhood fears come true. And just when we thought there was light at the end of the tunnel, just when we thought everybody was beginning to heal and we were moving forward. And my son took the safeties coaching job at the University of Northern Colorado under an amazing man by the name of Ed McCaffrey. Zach was pouring into young lives and living into his purpose. And just when we thought we lost him, on May 14th, 2020, to an accidental death in an attempt just to get some sleep. So when I read that Hannah went and poured out her soul before God so hard that the high priest thought she was wasted, I get it. She could no longer put on the good face. I remember the first time I could no longer put on a good face. I was in another city out teaching the Bible And to be quite honest, the wheels of my family were coming off. And I was in the back and I was on the phone talking to both my adult children who honestly were at each other's throat. And like any good mother, I was trying to solve their problems from a distance on the phone. And after trying that for about 15 minutes and realizing I was gonna be late to go out to VIP, which is a crazy thing, these women pay extra money to meet the speakers, which is so ridiculous to me because I'm not that great, you could meet me at Target. It's, it's not a big deal. But I was running late and I was on the phone and they were arguing and I finally said, you know what, y'all figure this out, you're grown. I need to go teach people about Jesus. And I come out and I walk out on stage and there's four chairs already on stage and this is the first thing I hear. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and and I've been married to my pastor husband for 28 years, and on and on. And hi, I'm so-and-so, and by the grace of God, I've been married to my husband for 25 years, and my three kids are walking with Jesus. And then the next one came, and I'm over here going, Dear God, for once in your life, just shut my mouth. Please, just shut my mouth. Shut this mouth, because I was about to, for real, have a nervous breakdown. And I'm telling you, it got to me and I opened my mouth and I looked at this crowd of women like this and I looked and I said, hi, my name is Mary Shannon Hoffpower and I'm your Bible teacher tonight. And I was married for 25 years until the stinking wheels fell off. And if I'm being quite honest, I can't stand either one of my adult kids tonight. (laughs) And I started to bawl. (laughs) And when I looked at my partners on the stage with their mouths wide open, I looked at them and I said, sorry, not sorry. And I looked out at the crowd and I said, if you're here tonight to see perfection, you've come to the wrong place. But if you're here tonight to see a woman who is holding on to Jesus for dear life, I'm your girl. And my friend said it was like, It was like the Holy Spirit came down on that place and split the veil. It was never the same, and I was never the same because it was time for Shannon to become authentic, and I realized that night what God can do even through our brokenness. Hannah was at the end of herself. She was broken, but she was wise because she did two amazing things. She reminded herself that God was Yahweh. She says that name Yahweh 18 times in her prayer. Yahweh is his intimate name. It isn't the name that he uses in Genesis chapter one when he talks about speaking all things into existence. It is the name he uses in Genesis chapter two where he is highlighting his intimacy, where he talks about touching man leaning down in the dust and forming man with his hands and getting into our grill and breathing in us the breath of life. It is the God who walked beside us in the cool of the garden. It's the same name that Moses used when he said, whom shall I say sent me? And he said, you tell them I am that I am. When I was young, I thought that was the craziest name. I am that I am, Sam I am, green eggs and ham. But the older I got, the more I realized that's the most beautiful name I've ever heard. Because he was saying to Moses, listen, there is nothing you can possibly need that I cannot say I am. You need a savior, I am. You need a friend, I am. You need a hiding place, I am. You need a redeemer, I am. I am all you need. And so Hannah was reminding herself that she had an intimate God and that He was all she needed. Why? Because in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I have prayed so many times that God would move the mountains in front of me. But it seems like, at least for me, He doesn't seem to move the mountains. Instead, He equips me to climb them. And with every step, I gain trust and faith muscles. Not only did she remind herself that God was intimate and that God was Yahweh, but she called him the Lord of hosts, That name is used over 200 times in the scripture, and Hannah's the first one to use it. The Lord of hosts. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 2 verse 1, and the heavens and the earth were finished, all the hosts of them. What does that mean? We have a God who opened up his mouth and light came out going 180,000 miles per second. We have a God who spoke and every atom and molecule lined up in a row and did what he said. Listen, when the creator speaks, creation obeys. We have a God who created all we see out of nothing. So if something is out of our control, trust me, it is still within his. She reminded herself that she had an intimate God that was all-powerful. And when she walked away, Scripture says she went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You see, her countenance changed, but not her circumstances. Hannah still wanted a son, but she didn't need him because she knew that the same God who had quickened or who could quicken her womb is a God that could take care of her even if he chose not to. It said that she went home and it said Elkanah knew his wife and the Lord remembered her and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel. When I was young, I thought, well, that was convenient. She goes home, she sleeps with her man and bam, she has Samuel. That worked out. But there is a phrase in there that annoys me to death. It is a phrase in due time. I've not met very many Mature Christians that have not had to spend some time in in due time, that time of waiting and questioning and leaving the outcome to God. On January 2020, I was laying in my bed, and I grabbed a devotional book that night before I went to bed. And I would love to tell you that I'm so spiritual that God gives me just a word every year, like Shannon, your word for the year is encouragement, or that God gives me a verse for the year. He never seems to do that for me. But that night, as I was reading that devotional, three words magnified off the pages, and it was wait, watch, and pray. And if I'm being quite honest, I thought it was about my romantic life, Shannon, wait and watch and pray but when my son died on May 14th, those words took a different turn. Zach's celebration was right here in this room. It was amazing. The stage was filled with Stanford football players and baseball players who loved him. They celebrated an amazing life. Most people think that what made Zach famous was his athletic ability. But what I'm finding out over and over again is that's not what made him famous. What made him famous was his heart. But I'll be honest, that day I was in a coma. I felt like I was stuck inside of myself and I was looking out into a world that was not real. And so that afternoon when I went home, I thought, oh, I need to fill my mind with something. And so I decided I would watch a documentary on Jeffrey Epstein. (laughs) Don't ask me why. But I'm sitting there and I'm watching that documentary and by the fourth episode, something snapped inside of me that I cannot even explain. And I stood up and I started to scream. I scared the people I was with and I said, where are you God? Where are you? This cannot be my son's story. No, it cannot be. We have gone through too much. I promised him that you would be close to the brokenhearted. I promised him that you would see him through. I don't see you now. This cannot be real. Where were you when all of these children were being abused? Where were you in the Holocaust? I mean, I was blaming him for everything in history. How dare you take my son? How dare you? I have taught every young person in this valley. I have taught every woman in this valley. I have been faithful to you. What? else do you want from me am i the west side job what do you want wait watch and pray that is cruel i hate you i'm done and i screamed until i wore myself out the next morning i got up and i sat on my patio quiet, and I'll never forget it. All of a sudden, I heard the words, wait, watch, and pray. And I thought, who got those words in Scripture? Peter, Peter. Jesus walked out in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, Peter, can you not just wait and watch and pray? Because something is coming that you do not comprehend. And it is going to rock you to your core. It is going to make you question everything you thought you knew. And man did it. I remember the day my son died. I looked at Mark Moore, who was my rock that day. And I said, is heaven real or is it BS? I have been teaching about it my whole life. Was I teaching about it because somebody else taught me? Is it real? And he took my face like only Mark Moore can, and he looked at me and he said, girl, it is real. And I sat there that day going back from the beginning of why is it that I believe what I believe? Once again, I was reminded of Peter in a great time of questioning when Jesus says to him, People were leaving him left and right, and he said, Peter, do you want to leave me too? And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, Where would I go? You have the words of life. And so there I was. With an agony I could not escape, but a faith I could not deny. For I was fully convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor my anger, nor my questioning, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord." The pages of this scripture tell me something. They tell me that I have a God that loves me so much, he willingly gave his only son for me. And so it is to a God like that, that I can trust my son. I don't know what you walked in here with today, I don't know what pain you're carrying or what storms you're in. But my advice is this. Press into Jesus. You press in. Don't run from him. Don't avoid him. If you're mad at him, tell him. If you got questions, ask him. But you press into him because that's where all the good stuff is. And when you can, and you will not be able to do this part alone. You need community. I could not have done this without my community. But when you can, you press on, you rise, you put one foot in front of the other, and you move. And no matter what, no matter what you do, don't you ever lose hope. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit It'sMaryShannon.com.